This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. An internal memo at Google has seen the man who wrote it fired because it had uh, derogatory messages about women in the workplace. James Damore's memo suggested that Google was hiring people solely based on gender or race. He suggested that managers were told to increase the diversity of their teams. There are many questions to ask about this case, including what is the impact on Google and on other Silicon Valley companies. Joining us to discuss this, our friend Americus Reed, Wharton Marketing Professor, and also with us, Samir Nur-Mohammed, Wharton Assistant Professor of Management. Americus, great to see you again, as always. It's great to be here. Thank man. you. Samir, great to have you with us as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, just your reaction is this all... All played played out. I, yeah. I mean, it, it it's amazing that these things, uh, but it is unfortunately part of the culture that we see in a lot of companies right now. It is. We're living in a world now where you know everything is amplified, everything is out there, and what you do as a, as a leader in a company or as a group of leaders in companies is going to be shared and spread around the world. So you don't have a lot of time to react when something happens, and you know you're faced potentially with a crisis for your organization. So you're going to see more of this. The question becomes, you know, is this reaction the correct one to move so quickly, so swiftly, right. uh, and to think a little bit about what are the implications from a marketing perspective? Because what you're essentially doing here, you're marketing your brand internally to your employees, and yep. you're basically signaling to them what are the values we espouse in this company, and what are the values we expect you to sort of align yourself with in the assumption of being an uh, employee of this organization. So you're going to see a lot more of this coming out, um, and I think this Google manifesto is sort of the one of the first times I think that kind of the Google name is kind of out there, and perhaps the brand itself, if you will, yeah. you know, might be under some pressure now to sort of deal with this context that we've we've seen uh, recently with all of this conversation about women in tech more generally. Sure, mm -hmm. Samir. Yeah, I think I think America's is absolutely right. It's just as much also an internal discussion as it is now an external discussion. I think. One of the things that's important to kind of think about in this debate that's been going on is that I think the author had initially intended it probably to just be circulated within the company, and, you know, he couldn't control that at all, and it got released out on the Internet. Um, so just as, you know, people internally at Google are reacting to it, so are people that are in computer science programs, for instance, that are considering Google as an employer. And what effect will that have on them? Um, well, it remains to be seen, and I think, like America said, um, it's it's not the last of it, even though, you know, the reaction has been pretty strong and swift by the company's leaders. Well, and, and as America's kind of mentioned, I mean, this is part of a bigger conversation right now, Samir, of, of the culture in Silicon Valley of not only the hiring, but uh, the, the reactions that people are feeling within some of these companies right now. Obviously, what we, we saw coming out of Uber uh, recently, and mm -hmm. this is kind of, you know, continues to be kind of a, a repetitive story, unfortunately, in that in that culture right now. I think that's absolutely right. I think one of the things that's, you know, really interesting to note about this memo is that, you know, it was, it was intended to, well, I don't want to guess what the author's intent was, but it definitely started a conversation around um, diversity and bias and so forth. And of course, tech companies like Google and Uber have been struggling with, um, in, you know, struggling with issues such as inclusion and gender diversity. Um, but one of the things that has been kind of missing from this debate online um, that you're seeing is also the, the point of ideological diversity too. And I think this is one of the, the first really mainstream issues where we're really seeing that come out. 
as well, where, you know, there's been a recent conversation, not just in corporations, but also on college campuses, about this idea of viewpoint uh, diversity and being more inclusive to viewpoints that are different from your own. Um, and people are having very strong reactions, usually aligned with their, their political ideologies, too. So we're seeing that play out. Americans? Yeah, I think that's correct. I think what's particularly interesting here and what Samir is pointing out is this notion of, you know, what sort of workplace do I want to be involved with from an ideological perspective? Now, it's based on the assumption that, you know, in a particular workplace, there should be lots and lots of different viewpoints. And I think that's an important point. What I found particularly interesting, Dan, was I had not read the memo until this morning, actually. Yeah. And so when I went to, before I went to go read it, I had this perception of, wow, here's this kind of smarmy, sure. uh, misogynistic yeah. kind yeah. of, you know, jerk, slack-jawed cretin sort of saying women <laughs> women can't do tech. What a jerk. And Don't hold I, back, America. <laughs> yeah. What do you really think, America? <laughs> but when I read it, I, I actually had a different perspective in terms yeah. of the viewpoints in, yeah. in this thing. I think, first let me say, it's, it's not well-written, unfortunately. Uh, so it's poorly structured. But I took a, his point to be, hey, listen, you know, uh, there's a small percentage of women in tech, particularly here in Google. Uh, the argument that, that it's not 50 percent uh, should not yeah. be immediately transferred into the argument that it's because of gender bias necessarily. Right. So he's not saying gender bias or sexism doesn't exist. Right. What he's saying is that there may be other things to be part of a conversation to talk about a multitude of factors sure. that might be the reason why we don't see the numbers uh, 50-50, let's say, in, in, in these tech spaces. And that's so, part of the reason why you see more and more people wanting to try and get more young women into yes. STEM careers right now. Exactly. Because, it, well, one, because it, it's a pretty good career right now yeah, right. If, in terms of making a living. Yes. But, but two, I mean, these are areas where women have the opportunity to, to really advance their careers and, and have a good career. That's right. And, I, and so the, what it was really interesting about that, to your point, Dan, was that, you know, I sort of was coming into this, God, I can't believe what this jerk is going to say. And then I realized, wait a minute, this is an important conversation to have. Right. right. And so I was a little bit enlightened to say that and a little bit struck, like, wow. They just sort of nixed this guy so quickly. Well, that then that brings <laughs> you know? up the other piece to this, Samir, is that when, when you do look at some of the issues he brings up, should this guy have been fired in your mind? Well, I think, you know, that's, that's of course, the question that everyone's been debating. I think one of the things that, you know, looking at it from, from our perspective as scholars is that, you know, it's not a binary choice. Did this guy have to be fired immediately or... Did he have to be left on and there was no punishment whatsoever? Right. I think one of the cool streams of research that's been emerging in recent years is this idea of kind of restorative justice. Mm. And it's looking beyond the offender or the perpetrator of a violation in an organization. And it also helps us think about, well, should we have focused not only on the perpetrator, but also the victims of you know, some of the things that he might have said and also the broader community? Um, and there might have been a way to restore some mm. of those relationships. I think... You know, one of the points that he was making in the memo is that there's not enough psychological safety, a belief that, you know, members of Google feel like it's safe for them to kind of take risks and also express their viewpoints. Um, and there could have been other actions that Google could have potentially taken that would have reached people, you know, that might now be underground because they don't want to, they're worried about expressing viewpoints such as this one. That's not to say that there weren't offensive parts of the memo. There are. Sure. There mm -hmm. absolutely are mm -hmm. things that are inaccurate 
factually incorrect and, like America said, it was poorly structured and probably lacked a lot of emotional intelligence, too. But there were points in there that were, he was trying to make to start a conversation, and there's signals in that memo that this guy could potentially have been reached, and there could have been yeah. ways to address mm-hmm. Some of the things that he talked about or show that, hey, just because, you know, we're upset with what this person said doesn't mean that we want to alienate every single person that, you know, has a more conservative ideology, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I think there were things in the middle that they could have potentially done, but for whatever reason, they decided not to. Now, I think they thought about the decision, you know, carefully. I don't think that, you know, they just rushed to it, even though it seemed very quick. But there were also, you know, other elements of context that matter. And there was a huge public outcry, and as yeah. well as an internal outcry, rightfully so. Well, and one of the lines that was associated out there was the fact that he basically said that he, quote unquote, Google was almost like a cult, mm. which I mean, that is so far <laughs> way past. I mean, for any of us that are old enough to remember what Jonestown was back in the 70s, mm-hmm. that's a cult. Mm-hmm. This, I don't think, represents a cult. Right. But but again, it does go to a degree of the brand of Google. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, Google has been pretty much a, a, a well-thought-of brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now maybe it's time for them to start to have a discussion or a kind of a look at, at some of the things within their company and also probably also Sundar Pichai, you know, in terms right. of him as a leader of this company, That's maybe right. some of the things that he needs to think of that maybe weren't first at the, you know, on the tip of his tongue the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think Samir makes a great point to build on what you're saying, Dan, is that this more sort of measured approach where you, you look to try to, to not necessarily punish in a binary way, but try to think about how can we learn from this? How can we get this conversation going? How can we uh, not squash uh, alternative ideological perspectives within our company is a really important point here. I think the yeah. other important point for Google is that Google has to be very careful in terms of how they're managing their brand. And what I mean by that is that if you think about Google, it's interesting because I've had conversations with execs from Google and I asked them to talk about the brand and things of that nature. And what's pretty what's pretty interesting about this conversation is that the Google brand, people don't really choose to use Google out of some deep emotional right. connection. It's just like, well, that's just what you use. Yeah. It's part of the vernacular. Yeah, I go Google stuff and it's kind of just built into your life. Yeah. So when the brand is not being emotionally chosen, you have to be really careful about what it starts getting associated with. And so perhaps that was part of the reason why there was such a fast, kind of quick response to this internal and probably external pressure to do something. Samir? No, I think I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, one of the things, as you think about the brand as well and how, you know, it looks both internally and externally, is just also kind of, well, where do we go from here? What are the solutions kind of moving forward? You know, there wasn't much in that memo other than, you know, the CEO talking about how this wasn't just a reaction to ideological or viewpoint diversity was really, you know, the stereotypes that his memo reinforced. Yeah. But, you know, there is one of the fundamental values of Google is diversity. And, and, you know, the CEO, Sundar, says a diverse mix of voices leads to better discussions, decisions, Mm -hmm. and outcomes for everyone. Well, you know, in that that statement that he released later, well, where did we see a conversation of what they're doing to incorporate Mm -hmm. more viewpoint diversity? Did we hear more about, you know, their policies to have more inclusion and more gender diversity? That very much, whether it was in there or not, you know, it didn't get covered by the media. Mm-hmm. And in this mm-hmm. kind of world of social media that we now live in, you know, where everything's kind of boiled down to 140 characters, <laughs> it's hard to really get that nuance. So you've got to kind of control that message much better. And I think America's probably has the expertise on how to do that. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that this notion of brand crisis, there's three kind of really important tenets to when you find yourself in this situation. That is, you have to do three things. One is validate concerns. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't necessarily mean saying, hey, I'm sorry, I did something wrong. It, it means that you're, you are empathetic to how people are feeling and reacting to different perspectives. The second thing is exactly what Samir said, which is to, to basically show action, to do something, put some teeth around policy yeah. that addresses those concerns. And then the third thing for your brand is really to kind of control the narrative and to make sure you're proactively out there, not allowing others to fill the space associated with what might be negative perceptions as this movement starts becoming more and more, uh, you know, tractioned uh, in the marketplace. So, you know, Google has done kind of an okay job on those three dimensions. I think yeah. Samir's point is really important, which is that I, I'm, I really worry about this idea of squashing perspectives so quickly yeah. without thinking through how do we turn this into something positive and a teachable moment for people within our organization, because I think the outcome or the consequence of shutting this down quickly, even though it might appease some folks who are outraged. Makes the problem worse. Makes the problem worse because yeah. now more people go underground and yep. you know th that ideological diversity is less likely to happen. We are talking with Americus Reed and uh, Samir Nur Mohammed of the Wharton School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We were talking about the uh, case of Google and this internal memo uh, from uh, James Damore who was an engineer who had worked at the company for about three and a half years. What are your thoughts? Should he have been fired? 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter, and we'll bring it up on the show that way, at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Going back to something you said about, about shutting ideas down quickly, one of the things that 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 uh, Demore brought up was he saw the company as a bit of an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. That would kind of go hand in hand mm -hmm. with exactly what you were saying about whether or not voices are actually being heard or whether or not they are being pushed to the side to a to a degree. That's exactly right. Those same voices are going to occur inside of a bubble. And if management isn't creating a context, an organizational leadership context that says, you know, we welcome all perspectives, we want to talk, we want to talk about facts, we want to talk about real things, but we do want to let people express what it is they feel. Yeah. If you don't do that, then you're going to get into this situation where you're going to have this kind of siloed ideological point of view. And that's really bad, I think. And I think most organizational psychologists would argue that, you know, you need that perspective, you need that diversity. And most people in the organization will probably say, you know, it's a bad thing to feel like you can't express certain views right. and things of that nature. And it's going to ultimately impact the brand. And that actually might leave the door open for competitors to come and say, hey, you know, we're over here at this other tech company and we're quite different because we actually allow a more diverse perspective and we encourage kind of more, you know, community building through yeah. having these conversations and not shutting them down in a kind of draconian way. The problem, I, I, unfortunately, I mean, you, you're right, that may open the door. But when you're talking about kind of an industry mm -hmm. which is seen as having this type of culture, yeah, that's fair. You know, the other side may be in just the same problem <laughs> yes, as yeah. Google is as is right now. Yeah, the entire ocean is sinking. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, that's a good point. I think that is true. But it should it should really, as Samir is saying, it should it should spark a conversation. I mean, it shouldn't right. be shut down. It should allow 
a conversation to happen where people can express these views and, and you know, allow these views. If this individual ha- is basing these views on incorrect information, right. let's correct it. Right. Let's let's give him the right perspective and let's see what happens. There, there is a, another interesting piece to this, Samir. Uh, when, when you look at the numbers in terms of the actual diversity, male, female, uh, within Google right now, uh, overall employees, I saw this earlier today, 69% male, obviously 31% female. Uh, but in the tech sector, it's 80-20 mm-hmm. in favor uh, of males over females. Now, I mean, that's a number where you can't correct that number. You can't even that number up overnight. It, it's it's I think it's almost impossible to do that, nor would you want to do that. You want to have a, a kind of a natural progression of bringing in the best people and hopefully a lot of those people end up being female so that you are to a degree evening that number out, correct? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's one of those things that has been plaguing the industry for years. I, you know, w- one of the things that I also just want to point out, which is really interesting from just this conversation that we're having, is that we're expecting a company like Google, um, you know, a, a big corporation, to have these kind of very nuanced and sophisticated debates. You know, it wasn't many years ago where people would say, well, we shouldn't have political ideology at the workplace, or we shouldn't have these co- conversations in companies, or nor should we expect them to have these, these types of conversations and debates. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see over the last 10, 20 years, you know, how we're really expecting companies to serve as exemplars where these debates can be held. And, yeah. you know, that's very different from what we, we often used to expect, which is just, you know, raising money and profits for its stakeholders, essentially. Um, and I think what you're touching on is that, yeah, we, we expect companies to lead the fight on these issues, to come up with the solutions, not just government, too. Um, and, you know, they're, they are trying. I know Google has done a lot lately um, to try to, you know, make the gap much narrower because you also see it in terms of at a much earlier age of who's going into these different types of majors in college and so forth. And, you know, there's ways to support programs so that you foster interests um, and make people see that, hey, like tech's a good reason for all these different, you know, sources of pride and enjoyment. But it's not going to be an overnight solution. So one one thing that Google needs to do, and it's really difficult to do, is not only just control the narrative, but also control the narrative on what the expectations are for when this gap will change, right? Because it seems like right now, each year we're, we're hearing that they're trying to address it, and other tech companies like Uber are trying to address these issues of gender diversity and gender gaps. But we don't. We just keep thinking, oh, it's going to be addressed next year. It's going to be addressed in the next few years. Yeah. And is that a realistic timeline or not? Well, and, so, you know, it's got to work in collaboration with the government too. So you're saying policy. you're saying the the old kicking the can down the road philosophy <laughs> is never a good good. And, and I, I mean, it's it, it's a it's an old common line used, but it's truly the case mm-hmm. where you can't let these things yeah. sit around. You can't. It, it, because they will fester and they will cause more trouble than than actually trying to correct them. That's exactly right. I think that, especially now with social media, it's it's interesting because CEOs now have to have a new skill, which is yeah. how do you control your image relative to your company's image and managing the values of the company? And you have to do that in real time as things happen. Well, it, it also it, it goes to uh, to both of you and Samir. I'll start with you. It, it goes to this this kind of new freedom that a lot of people feel that they have because of social media, that they can basically say anything they want, 
and as you mentioned, in 140 characters, mm-hmm. uh, and and there won't be any repercussions for it. We have seen it time and time and time again, and, and there's almost, the, like Samir, there is a lack of understanding of that fact right now. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, you know, you also see it on social media, but you also just see it in the headlines for these articles, right? Just in the coverage of you know, the the memo itself, like like we like both Americans and I have said, there were definitely offensive parts of the memo, but everything kind of captured it so that it was anti-diversity. Well, there are parts that, you know, definitely touched on biases that people have both towards genders and ideologies. But there was a much more nuanced conversation later in the memo around solutions mm-hmm. um, that hardly got covered. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, mm-hmm. you know, if you just cut off the memo after the first little bit where it was talking about Google being an ideological echo chamber and yeah. here are the left biases and the right biases, mm-hmm. you know, that would have been a much different conversation. Um, but how do you even narrow attention and focus on that um, in this day and age and kind of make sure that other people are accountable to what kind of what they're expressing and saying? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a great point that Samir makes. It's, you know, it isn't a zero-one perspective. And we have to, I think, as a society, learn to tolerate, you know, levels of granularity around arguments and perspectives and points of view. I think we all can identify things that are, you know, beyond the pale. Uh, but there's a big gray area out there, and we shouldn't be so quick to shut off that conversation. And we can't, you know, companies can't stay, to your point, Dan, can't stay silent, you know. Yeah. You, you're going to be accountable for, for everything that you say. You're going to be accountable for things that you don't say, as we're kind of learning in more recent kind of news events or, or things that how you're managing a message. People are going to infer all kinds yeah. of things based on what you say. But this is also happening is also the Google is being investigated by the government mm-hmm. about pay rate. That's right. And so, yeah. I, I mean, talk about a time where you have to do it better, faster, and, and cleaner than exactly any. Right. Here, Here's a perfect example of yeah. that. Yeah, the brand, I think, uh, Google and tech, I mean, it's sort of, they've been sort of this golden standard, if you will. I know that when I speak to students here at Warden, it's like, wow, the, the thought of being able to get a job offer at Google is sure. like an incredibly valued, lauded for uh, opportunity. So this is going to be a challenge for them moving forward and to really make sure that they have the right level of tolerance around different perspectives that cannot you know, undermine the brand in a, in a detrimental way. I, I, I guess, Samir, quickly, I've got about a minute and a half left. Yeah. Is Google a company, do they then, I mean, they need to, to, to fix, obviously, certain things, but uh, are they almost a company that, to use the vernacular from the, the recession with the banking industry, are they almost too big to fail? I, I I never would want to use that statement because okay. I think people use that statement before the banks. But okay. um, I think I think they are they are definitely enjoying a privileged position right now. But if you know if there is competitive pressures, um, you will see it. You'll see a change in the industry, of course. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, uh, Samir, for your time on the phone today. Thank you. Thank you, America. It's great seeing you again. Thank you again. Thanks a lot, Dan. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.